Colleagues, welcome back to the office. It's Steve and welcome to the CPE Today podcast. We're going to get started with our podcast presentation here just in a moment. But before we do, I'd like to share some insight on how you can receive credit for watching today's presentation. There are two options. You can either watch live as it's being recorded through Zoom, more on that here in a moment, or you could be watching or listening on demand wherever you happen to receive content. We distribute our show through YouTube, SoundCloud, Facebook, our website, and many other places. Now, if you happen to be watching on demand on your own schedule, after watching or listening to today's class, head on over to cpetoday.com and locate today's course page. Uh, you can find our course code by looking at the footer of the presentation to see the link presented there. And it will also be mentioned throughout the presentation on multiple occasions. After com purchasing today's class, you'll complete a short five question quiz on what was discussed in today's presentation. And upon passing that your certificate for your CPE credits will be automatically generated and available for download. In addition to your purchase, you can also download copies of today's presentation, learning materials. You can ask the presenter questions and more. Now, if you happen to be watching live as it's being recorded through Zoom, your attendance will be confirmed through attendance prompts, which will occur every 12 to 20 minutes and approximately four per hour. They'll pop up automatically. And when a prompt comes up, please choose a response to confirm your attendance. It doesn't actually matter what you choose as long as you choose something as your response will confirm your engagement with our presentation. Attendance prompts might not be announced, so please keep an eye out for them. Now, as long as you've com uh, completed at least 75% of the attendance prompts, you will receive full credit for our presentation. Your completion certificate will be delivered to you by email within two business days of the event. You can always visit cpetoday.com if you have any questions or issues with your certificate. After our presentation today, we'd love to know what you think. Uh, there will be a course evaluation that will automatically pop up. It should take you anywhere from one to three minutes to complete, and your feedback will be used to help us produce better content in the future. Now, if you have any questions or comments throughout the presentation, we'd love to know what they are. Please use the chat or the Q&A functionality to let us know what you think, or if you have any questions on the materials that are being presented. Also, please feel free to share your experience, knowledge, and insight with the class. If you have any technical issues, you can also use that functionality to ask for help. You can always find great content at cpetoday.com. We have a variety of self-study and live courses from all topics, accounting, audit, personal development, Excel, QuickBooks, and more, you name it. Check out cpetoday.com. And the CPE Today podcast is made available Tuesdays and Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. And you can always find great content being discussed in that podcast every single week. If you happen to be a new user, listener, viewer of the CPE Today podcast, thank you so much for coming. Welcome. We're ecstatic and happy to have you. How about you get a free credit on us? Use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to get a free credit for today's class. We're going to go ahead and get started with our presentation here in the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and enjoy our presentation. Good morning, colleagues. Welcome to today's class. My name is Steve Yost. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We're going to get started here with K2, securing your data and for practical tools for protecting your information. But before we do, I just want to make sure that you are connected. You can hear me and you can see the screen. If so, if you wouldn't mind opening up that chat bot, shoot me a message. Let me know that you are connected and that you are good to go.
All right. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Nancy, Travis, James, William, Paul, Kay, Andrew, Christine, Laura. Good morning to you all. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy lives for being here and coming to learn about how we can improve our safety of our organizational data and our personal data and hopefully how we can overall improve our compliance and reduce our risk and, you know, maybe learn a bunch of new things in between. Well, today's class is going to be focused on security and trying to give you as much practical information as I possibly can with respect to things that I know can help reduce your risk with respect to uh, data breaches, improve overall compliance with respect to uh, major compliance frameworks, for example, with CCPA or with uh, GDPR and other things like that, as well as uh, hopefully give you some best practices that you can share with your colleagues, your family members, and other people to help um, make them safer online. Uh, the reality is in 2021, uh, data breaches and identity theft and all the nasty stuff that really is kind of out there is a fact of life. And really, uh, it's up to us to take a very proactive approach to prevent it from happening. You know, it's this unfortunate circumstance that, you know, I wish it was different, but that's the reality of the world that we live in. And it's really on each individual person to take care of it for their personal life, as well as um, the company to ensure that everybody on their team is a strong link. You know, for organizations, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Um, and understanding where and how certain um, data breaches have occurred and, and how certain attacks could occur, for example, with ransomware, malware, stuff like that, uh, could be very helpful in terms of promoting overall security. So today we are going to be looking at a bunch of different uh, aspects of security, trying to give you as much practical advice as we can. We're going to start off with taking a look at some attacks uh, recently. So we'll look at some of the hacks and data breaches that have occurred relevant to financial professionals, including uh, firms getting a breached and attacked, as well as uh, maybe some software vendors as well. We'll talk about Intuit's recent credential stuffing attack, where they themselves did not experience a data breach, uh, but rather they're guilty of having poor systems design and allowing their customers to use insecure passwords. We're going to talk about specific types of attacks. Uh, we're going to talk, for example, about ransomware, about malware, what it is, how it functions, what we need to know to protect ourselves and our organizations. Lots of best practices in around there. We'll talk about inside of those best practices, uh, things like the characteristics of good passwords, long and strong passwords. Uh, often there are only line of defense. Uh, so how can we maximize our potential uh, safety with using good passwords for our systems? We'll also talk about some additional kind of more advanced security topics, including uh, data loss prevention, which is a security technique that can be really effective with preventing uh, any sort of data leaving your systems. In fact, if you're an Office 365 subscriber, it's built right into the tool uh, for you to be able to use. We'll finish with my five common sense tips for security and improving compliance um, for your organization. Uh, these are going to be things such as controlling access to data, restricting rights on your computers to only people that work for your organization, and only giving them the rights that are necessary, encryption, and more. Now, this is just our starting off point. We can take the presentation any number of directions, and I'd love to do that. If you wouldn't mind, open up that chat box, shoot me a message, let me know what you're interested in learning today, and I'd be happy to do my best to include it in our presentation. So let me know what you're thinking about and what you'd like to see covered in today's class. 
Now, for those of you who have not had a class with me before, my name is Steve Yoss. I am a K2 instructor. I've been with K2 about five years now, and I tend to focus on teaching on our security classes and uh, anything really kind of involving software development and uh, accounting systems as well. Um, my time is split evenly between teaching events like this for wonderful folks like yourself, and the other half of my time is split uh, with my business, which is Devmatics, a software development company uh, based here in Los Angeles, California, but we work all over the uh, world. We build all sorts of cool stuff. Um, you know, we tend to solve business problems with technology and, uh, you know, helping people find new ways to utilize technology in their organization. So we build mobile apps, enterprise solutions, and, you you know, uh, inventory solutions, and really kind of every everything in between. So if you ever have any questions regarding uh, software or anything like that, more than happy to speak with you, more than happy to point you at least in the right direction. Now, something new in the K2 universe, K2 launched a podcast earlier this year. It's called the CPE Today Podcast. Uh, podcast is broadcast twice a week. Uh, on Monday, I'm sorry, on Tuesdays and Fridays at 11 a.m. And the podcast focuses on accounting technology and business. It's giving financial professionals all the information they need to know to be relevant and up to date with their career. Uh, we discuss reviews of software applications. We talk about in-depth on training topics, including Excel, Power BI, and more. Lots of tutorials and walkthroughs. And often in the podcast, we're able to go much further in-depth on topics than we can get inside of a class. You know, and for a class, for the most part, we try to cover a lot to give you as much information as possible. But uh, podcasts will go really in-depth on particular topics. You can listen for free on the platform of your choosing, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Uh, you can even watch live on YouTube and Facebook for free, Tuesdays and Fridays at 11 a.m. So if you like accounting technology and like take K2 courses, by all means, please feel free to check it out. Okay, a couple of quick housekeeping announcements, then we're going to go ahead and get into our class for today. Um, this is a NASBA qualified webinar. As such, there will be attendance prompts to confirm your engagement with the presentation. They're going to come about every 12 to 20 minutes or so, so please be on the lookout for them. When the response comes up, please go ahead and choose a response to confirm your attendance. Let's go ahead and do a sample one right now just to ensure you know what you're looking for. So you should see a pop-up on your side letting you know that uh, there is a polling question. Now, a couple things with respect to these polling questions. Um, when they come up, select a response. It doesn't matter what response you actually choose. Just choose something. Uh, doesn't matter what. This confirms your attendance, lets us know that you're here, and that ensures that you will get your full credit for today's class. Uh, two things I'll let you know. Uh, the questions that we're going to ask will be related to the course and content. However, I'm not going to be pacing necessarily the questions with the course content itself. Uh, unfortunately, there's too many questions and in order to be able to get through the presentation, it's really difficult to be able to try to time them correctly in order to be able to get the number of responses. Um, so please just go ahead and choose something. If it's something we haven't covered up to this point, don't feel too bad about it. Additionally, I will not be announcing when those prompts come up. Again, it's not that I don't want uh, uh, to let you know when they're coming. It's just there's so much material to get through and it can be quite uh, disruptive to change uh, topics every couple of minutes. So please uh, keep an eye out for them. I'm going to keep those polling questions up as long as I possibly can. So they will be up for several minutes between. So don't feel like you need to do it in the first 10 seconds. They'll be up for several minutes. Okay. 
So I could see that 35 out of 37 people have responded to those polling questions. So you might want to, uh, if you haven't responded yet, uh, to consider go ahead and, uh, and doing so. Okay. Now, with respect to your certificate for completion today, as long as you've completed 75% of your polling questions, you will receive full credit for today's class. Uh, K2 will be issuing your uh, CPE certificate. It could also be your state society, depending on which society you're coming from. Uh, no matter what, it's going to come through email. So keep an eye out for that. If you have any issues with your certificate, by all means, please feel free to reach out to K2. Uh, they'd be more than happy to help. After our webinar today, there will be a brief evaluation. We'd love to know what you think about today's course and content. It's very helpful with respect to uh, creating future courses as well as understanding what people like and maybe what can be improved upon. It takes two minutes. I'll talk more about it at the end of our presentation today, but we'd love your feedback and thoughts. I read every one of them as well as the folks at K2 and, and your local state society as well. Please stay engaged with our presentation for today. If you have any questions, by all means, please feel free to let me know. Um, I'm more than happy to explain things more than once, show another example. Um, you know, if you need something specific for your organization, hey, how do I do this for a marketing company? Hey, what would this look like for a manufacturing firm or something like that? Just tell me what you need and I'll be sure to try to include it in our presentation. If you have any experience with any of the things that we're going to discuss too, or something has happened to you as we're talking through some of these uh, uh, attack types, by all means, please feel free to share your experience. I could see your chat messages here in real time and uh, I'd be happy to include that into our presentation and if there's anything I can do for you to help improve your day by all means please feel free to let me know I'm more than happy to do so now a question comes up you know what should you do if you become a victim of ransomware well here's some immediate steps first and foremost isolate that infected computer so that other computers and other users on the network do not become infected triage the situation uh, shut down devices that have not been yet completely corrupted. So if like, like imagine you've got a work group of machines, you find one that pops up with that, uh, that message, you know, saying, for example, you know, that you've become a victim of ransomware. Maybe it looks again, something like this. You're going to want to shut down every other computer in that network. Um, until you can isolate what that particular problem is. You have one computer pop up with this and you've got several in that same net subnet in that same group, you want to stop everything and resolve this issue. You do not want to let that continue to run and encrypt the rest of the data on that machine. There might be a way of recovering. The second that screen comes up though, you're going to be locked out. So you definitely want to consider shutting down devices that have not been completely corrupt. Next thing, definitely change on a separate computer, all your major account passwords, network passwords, once you've removed that infected machine. So get a clean computer and then go ahead and change your email password, network password, any sort of admin level privileges. Um, also, you know, uh, getting a little technical here, but delete any registry values to maybe stop the program from loading. If you're able to get to a machine before it's fully, fully run the encryption algorithms and programs, you might be able to prevent it from continuing by uh, deleting some registry values and stopping the application from, from uh, running. Okay, next, you're definitely going to want to verify the integrity of your backups. Unfortunately, I have worked with many clients over the years that believe they had a good backup only to need it and it wasn't there or it wasn't complete or it was from three months ago or any other number of reasons why it wasn't going to be a reliable uh, solution. 
Uh, you never, ever, ever want to be in a position where you go to use your backup and it just doesn't work. You know, and one of the other tenets with respect to backup is that it not only is done, but it's tested. Um, I have made adjustments to my backup routines all the time testing, ensuring that it works, how fast can we recover, um, what steps are necessary to recover from that, both personally and professionally. Uh, I have several different backup protocols on my machines uh, to deal with this, you know, and I'm backing up typically in multiple different places. So if one backup fails, I'll have another, you know, I've got about three different things that I do on a regular basis. I back up to other hard drives inside of my house. I back up to obviously OneDrive and SharePoint for individual files for company stuff. I back up to Amazon S3, which is a very cheap uh, storage solution. And I back up to crash plan, you know, so I'm not going to say it's foolproof, but I feel good having depth here. You know, that kind of redundancy in the backup, again, you never want to use it, but if you do use it, you absolutely want it to make sure it works. Um, so that's kind of what I have done. And I don't feel like I'm being paranoid by this situation. I feel like if you're not being paranoid, you're missing the point of what is required. And um, with respect to uh, the damages that can be caused by this, there's no reason the damage and the risk far outweighs the cost. Backup is cheap. It's so cheap. It's so easy. It's so efficient. And there's no reason not to do it. I mean, it, there's just none. I mean, it's a it, very, very inexpensive thing. It's mostly just setup and configuration and monitoring. And once you got it, you're good to go. You might want to consider implementing an incident response plan or business continuity plan. Okay, BCP, business continuity planning. You hopefully will have addressed this as part of your disaster recovery business continuity plan. Uh, and this will be predetermined steps of what you're going to follow in the event of a ransomware attack. Now, if you've never done business continuity planning, I'd encourage you to check out the CPE Today podcast. We've recently done a series. We've got three episodes specifically on disaster recovery and business continuity planning, including running through how to write a plan itself and some free resources provided by, by the Department of Homeland Security to assist you in writing your own business continuity plan. So you can check those out for free uh, if you'd like to learn how to write one of those uh, plans. You might want to contact law enforcement as well as a legal counselor uh, to determine what occurred. If it's a data breach, for example, you're definitely going to want to uh, get law enforcement involved. And you're also definitely going to want to get some sort of legal protection involved, uh, depending on where you are and the type of data that you're working with. Uh, the reason being is that you're going to want to get in front of this and you want to proactively be able to um, show that you're doing everything you can to possibly resolve the issue, especially if it's something involving critical data um, that could be considered um, confidential. You know, something that would be, um, you know, something like patient data, financial data, stuff like that can be really, really um expensive and really costly in terms of regulatory issues if you're not uh, following the correct uh, remediation steps. Now, a question usually pops up here. Well, do I pay the ransom? I mean, it's legit. I mean, everybody has to kind of make their own determination if this is something they're going to do. Uh, I would tell you if you have a good backup, you know, you can be okay. You know, you can, you can essentially just record, recover from your backup, no harm, no foul, as long as the data that was, uh, uh, backed up um, and you're able to prove, for example, that the data never left your network, you could just restore the backup and you can go back uh, business as usual. However, absent a good backup, the only way you might be able to get access to your data again is to pay that fine or pay that uh, the fee that they're requesting. However, I would tell you, paying it encourages the criminals to 
continue their activity. So you're definitely, you know, kind of contributing to that ecosystem. Uh, paying it does not guarantee that you're going to get access to your data. I mean, they very well could just say, thank you, have a nice day. Uh, they could also, for example, come out and they could uh, say, you know, it's not a thousand, it's 2000. Uh, paying it could make you definitely a target for future attacks. And it could also extort additional money out of you, you know, especially if there was data stolen and they took, you know, that's very well, they could just basically say, you know, hey, you know, you're, you need to pay us or we're going to tell your clients or we're going to report you or do other stuff like that. Now, ransomware is real. It's a substantial threat to everybody. Any device connected to the internet can become infected with ransomware. It's not just computers. Mobile devices are certainly at issue here as well. Uh, if you do become infected, there's a substantial chance you will lose access to your data unless you have a really good backup. It's not just a one-trick pony here. There are several different things that you need to do. A multi-layered, multi-faceted approach is what you're going to need to be able to get this uh, threat to a more manageable level, starting with education, having a good backup, having good anti-malware solutions, enabling updates and running them continuously on your machine. Uh, and other steps are really what's required in order to be able to reduce your risk. But the good news is if you can just make this a more manageable piece They'll just move on to the next person. Often with ransomware, it's just a matter of uh, uh, numbers. You know, these people aren't invested in you. They don't care. You know, if you don't fall the victim, 10 other people at the same time will. But realize that this risk is not going to go away. And if anything, it's just going to become more expensive and more uh, prevalent in the coming uh, months and years. Now, in our next section, let's go ahead and talk about strong passwords and the role passwords play in today's environment. Passwords are a form of authentication. They are often our first line and our only line of defense, depending on our organization and what we're doing. They could be the only thing separating somebody that we know and somebody we don't know from being able to access systems. Passwords usually do two things. Okay, not always. It depends on the nature of the system and the application that they're working with. Uh, but they usually do two things. First, they help prevent against unauthorized use of assets. So when we password protect a computer, it's preventing somebody from being able to walk up to that computer, that tablet, that phone, and being able to access and utilize that computer or device. So it prevents unauthorized users from getting in and accessing, you know, company files, accessing the internet, um, you know, accessing specific applications, things of this nature. So it stops people from getting in. Additionally, though, in most circumstances, passwords also mean encryption. When something is password protected, it's encrypted. When something is encrypted, it's password protected, but not always. It depends on the nature of the application and depends on what you are doing here. So passwords also protect data from those devices from being unauthorized and uh, unauthorized use as well. So like your cell phone, for example. Okay. Now your cell phone, the pin code prevents somebody from being able to get in, access your Facebook, look at your email, make a phone call, so on and so forth. But also once you put the pin in, it decrypts the device and makes the data on this device available to be used. So if you have a good pin on your phone and you lose your phone and somebody picks it up, not only will they not be able to access and make and receive phone calls, but if they were to disassemble this device and take the memory chip out of it, they would not be able to read the data that is inside that chip. So 
if you have a good passcode on your device, you, for example, keep that device up to date. You, for example, uh, set there are certain security features like, uh, for example, automatically delete the device after a certain number of invalid pin attempts. As long as you've got those things set up, well, guess what? You're probably okay. You lose your phone. Unfortunately, you probably have to go out and buy another phone. But the good news is somebody's not going to be able to disassemble that device, pull the memory out, and be able to read it. Likewise with your computer. You have a good password on your computer. You lose the device. That data is secured. You know, Not only can somebody not get in to be able to access the data on that device, but also... If they take the hard drive out, they're not going to be able to access the data on the hard drive either. It's encrypted. So passwords do two things, prevent unauthorized use and then prevent uh, unauthorized access to the data itself. Now, passwords are, for a lot of us, you know, a really big issue. And, and for a lot of us, myself included, a uh, really painful issue. It could be a lot to be able to manage passwords. There are a lot of best practices around this. And implementing them correctly and fully can be a lot of work. And I am very conscious of that. And uh, I wish there was other better methods. And we're starting to get there with like biometric security, as well as um, uh, using more physical uh, hardware security devices. But for many applications, many websites, many service providers, passwords are the only way that we're able to prevent our accounts from being compromised. And in a lot of respects, it's our only way for preventing unauthorized access to our account. And a good provider, for example, will not let their users make bad security decisions. You know, they won't, for example, let a password be anything or two characters long or any other number of bad practices as it relates to it. So that's what a good provider will do. But not every provider is good. Not every provider is going to force its users to make good security decisions. As such, it's as much on you as it is on them for using best practices and following these security and techniques. A provider, for example, has no way of knowing that you've used that same password on 15 other websites, okay? They don't know. They only know what they're supposed to uh, see on their own specific service. So here are some things that you should know with respect to passwords. And now let's go ahead and take a look at how they would typically compromise your password uh, for an existing service. Now, it's actually pretty easy, Um to compromise a simple password. And one of the most common methods is guessing. People are really bad at choosing passwords in general. And more often than not, they will pick a password that's already known, or they'll pick a password that is very relevant to their life. Um, I can tell you from experience, a lot of the passwords that are out there are usually things like kids' names, pet names, um, places that they've lived, grown up, their high school mascot, their first car, all these things are generally things that we could find on a on a uh, social media site. And so first recommendation, never ever use something that's pretty well known about you uh, because people will just be able to guess it. When I was in graduate school, I was doing a lot of info uh, security uh, research and my colleagues and I, we actually built a tool that could scan a person's social media profile. In our case, we were using uh, Facebook. It could read through a person's entire Facebook profile, pull out the keywords. We analyzed, for example, the frequency of things, like how often you referenced, for example, a name of something. And the tool would generate a list of passwords that that person probably used. And in our test cases, uh, it worked about 7% of the time, which is incredibly great. Uh, I mean, 7% might seem like a low number, but when you're talking about breaking passwords for sometimes millions of users, uh, 7%, I'll take that any day of the week. So 
Also, what we can do with respect to our passwords is that we can use passwords that have been found in other uh, security breaches. You know, we've, as we've talked, kind of talked about here, there've been lots of data breaches where people will take stolen data and then use that data in other places. They'll, for example, do what we call a dictionary attack or a brute force attack. And they will attempt to take passwords that were stolen in other places just to happen to see if they work. You know, people used to think, for example, with brute force that we would just try every possible letter and number combination, A, A, B, C, A, B, C, D, 1, 1, 2, 3, so on and so forth. We actually don't do that anymore. There are publicly known lists. Let me go ahead and show you this. So this is an example of a list that you can find publicly if you just search GitHub um, common passwords. This is a list that you can find of the top 10 million most commonly used passwords in ranked order. Let's go ahead over here and take a look at the top 1,000. So with this potential list, we can see, for example, the top 1,000 most commonly used passwords. And I'm only picking this one list just because it's uh, it'll load fast. I could absolutely pull down the top 10 million. But as you can expect, the most commonly used passwords are things like one, two, three, four, five, six, and password. These two right here represent like almost half of all passwords in the universe of passwords uh, out there. You know, other things like QWERTY, one, two, three, four, five. I mean, uh, there's just tons, and almost all of these can be instantly attacked and breached. Uh, for a password to be considered uh, secure, it can't have ever been used by you or anybody else ever. Uh, because these lists are publicly out there. What the hackers will do is they take these lists, you know, they'll take, for example, the uh, top 10 million here, and they'll just iterate over it. You know, they, for example, already know your username. It's probably your email. And then they'll try this list in sequential order. This isn't even the biggest one. If we come back over here to that Have I Been Pwned website, and we come over here and we look at the passwords section for this, this is where we can, for example, check to see if a password has ever been exposed in another data breach. Uh, let's take uh, Big Bear One Two Three, my hometown. Well, if I were to use that password, well, guess what? That has been exposed four hundred and sixty times before. Well, let's say, for example, we make it a capital B. Well, that's still well. I guess nobody's used a capital B before. Well, good on them. Um, but ideally, we would never want to be used a password that has been used somewhere else. Uh, the reason being is that these lists are publicly available. In fact, if you scroll down a little bit for here, you can download it. It's about 12 gigabytes of just straight text. But if I have access to this, so do they. And what they will do is they'll take this and they will iterate through that potential list and eventually find a password that works. You know, ask yourself, uh, do you think that there's a password that you're using that appears in this list of 613,584,246 passwords? Uh, the answer to that is probably. Uh, so ideally what we're gonna want to choose here is a password that is complex, long, random, that has never ever been used anywhere before to avoid falling victim to something like a brute force attack. Now, we also have password sniffing software. This is malware that can get installed on your machine and that can essentially listen for passwords as you're working on your computer and steal those passwords and then use them and transmit them to a third party. And we also have social engineering. 
you know, where somebody will be manipulated into willingly handing over their password. A common technique, someone will call up saying they're from corporate IT, they need help uh, getting into a system, they need your password. I know uh, this sounds kind of outlandish, but that's still very effective and affects, and affects a lot of people. There's this direct correlation in the password's length and randomness and its complexity. The longer a password is and the more complex a password is, the longer it will take for that particular password to be breached. You know, if we look at over here, for example, if we had a password one character long, there's only 95 possible combinations. Okay, two passwords, 9,025. It's not really until we get to about 12 characters or so that we start seeing some real good complexity in this that would take a significant amount of times to crack. You know, if we, for example, take a 12 character password, that's how many possible passwords it could be. And this is how long it would take that 12 character password to be compromised. And this is assuming 5 million attempts every second. Well, a 12 character password where they're attempting to break it every 5 million times would still take several billion days to be able to breach. Okay. Now, absent of a good, long and strong password, it definitely can cause issues and it could definitely uh, cause uh, problems to you uh, later on. So the way that we handle this um, is through best practices, is through best practices. And there's some best practices with respect to your passwords that you should be following. Now, if we go back to the SANS Institute, they have some good recommendations with respect to password procedures and policies. Uh, it must be a minimum of 12 alphanumeric characters. It must contain both upper and lowercase characters. It must contain at least one number and contain at least one special uh, character. Um, those are the qualifications that would make it a strong password. Now, in practice, I've got some additional recommendations for you. Okay. I would tell you first and foremost, whenever possible, make the longest password you can. If you had to choose between a password that is very random or very long, choose one that's very long. Uh, best practices tell us, for example, when we're designing software that we don't set uh, length limits with respect to the passwords. You can make them as long as you want them to be, you know, because that really kind of helps foil bad guys from being able to compromise if they don't know the minimum and maximum of that password. Okay. Uh, so make it as long as you possibly can. Uh, second thing is you don't need to change your passwords as frequently anymore. Um, if you are uh, prevented from unlimited attempts. Like for example, if a, if a software only allows you 10 attempts and then it logs you out, or it only allows you five attempts and then you have to reset your password by email, something like that, you don't have to constantly change your passwords. As such, pick a good, memorably long password and stick to it for that particular uh, service. The only time you would want to change your password is when there's evidence of a data breach and then certainly change it as frequently. Evidence has shown that when we have forced users to constantly rotate through passwords every couple of months, well, we've actually made things more insecure, you know, because people then go through Big Bear 123, then Big Bear 124, so on and so forth. And it's actually less secure. So generally, you know, stick with the password until there's evidence of a breach and then go ahead and change it. Or if you are going to change it, which is still a good idea, maybe you only do it every couple of uh, uh, every couple of, um, uh, you know, maybe every year even or maybe even less frequent than that. But as long as that password's being stored correctly, you're usually pretty good. You know, you don't really need to, to worry about it uh, as much. Now, absent of limiting technology, like, for example, if they don't limit the rates, yes, then you're going to want to go ahead and change it. 
Okay, other best practices, you always use a separate password for every single website you go to. You never, ever, ever, ever duplicate passwords as well. So those are some characteristics of a good password uh, policy. Now there's some other recommendations from SANS. Uh, put a firewall between your personal and your business life. Do not reuse passwords from personal for business. Um, again, I'm not going to recommend any longer uh, changing system level passwords quarterly. You don't need to do that as long as there's a limit on the number of attempts. Uh, just pick a good strong one. Likewise, you don't really need to do this every quarter. Uh, for user level passwords, as long as those passwords are otherwise protected through rate limiting, where you can only attempt so many attempts before getting locked out, you're okay. Never share passwords. That is useful for a couple of different things. One of the big reasons is that uh, if you share passwords, you can't hold people accountable because you'll never be able to know who did what, when, and where. Um, and I also recommend that uh, in, in case of a breach, you change all those passwords uh, immediately. Now, can you do all of this? <laughs> you know, the answer of this is no. I mean, uh, we all have hundreds, if not thousands of passwords. Uh, when I most recently looked at my password management tool, I had well over 3000 accounts listed now. And I mean, if you think about it, it's pretty easy to get up to that number. I mean, there are probably 10 US based airline companies, 10 major hotel uh, companies that well that's 20 passwords just for managing travel if you're supposed to use a separate password for every one well it would be unreasonable to think that you could keep all this straight in your head so we're humans we're often the weakest link we can use technology though that uh, can help kind of mitigate and reduce this risk to a more acceptable level and the way that we do that would be through a password management tool uh, if you were to do one thing that you're not doing currently, it would be keep your device up to date. If you were to do a second thing that you're not doing currently, it would be to implement a password management tool. This is a really good technique for improving security, uh, and it'll manage a lot of this ever-growing list of security complexity and passwords so that you just don't even really need to think about it anymore. Password management tools do a couple of things. They are ultimately a database of secured information. They will store your passwords in an encrypted manner and then recall them after the fact so that you can easily log into whatever service you use. Okay, they do a couple of standard things. They generate your passwords for you. So they will generate the complex passwords necessary to log into Delta or American Airlines or Hilton or whatever else. They will store them so they can be recalled. So it'll generate it and store it. Uh, they will often store other information too. My password management tool is as much of a confidential information tool as it is a password tool. Any confidential information I have, that's where I store it is in my password management service. And using this, it's actually made security a lot simpler and easier. I can tell you that in my life, there are only three passwords I know off the top of my head. My password to my devices, so I can log in. My password to my email, and then my password to my password management solution. I only know three out of the 3,000 plus passwords in my life. And with those three, I can do anything I want. If I wanted to log into Delta, I would go to my password management tool, I'd search Delta, and then I copy and paste the password from there. Or I will, for example, just click the button inside that password management tool and it'll load it up for me. Now, for the passwords I do know, let me give you a technique that could be really, really helpful. Okay. Instead of kind of trying to come up with a password, what I would recommend that you come up with a pass phrase. And here's what I do. Uh, I'll pick a book off my bookshelf. 
you know? Like, uh, I just happen to have this uh, bulletin right here on rocketry, you know? Uh, one of my favorite hobbies. And what I will do to generate a password is I'll open this book or pamphlet or whatever it ends up being. I'll go to a random page here and I'll pull a word out. I'll just look for something like Cambridge. Okay. Cambridge, uh, MasterCard, Monday, Polo, Convention, you know, whatever. You pick five words or so, like 30 characters long. Make it memorable. I always try to find something funny to me, you know, that I would be the only one that would recognize. And that would become your password for, again, your computer, your password management tool, and your um, uh, password uh, or in your, your computer, your password management tool, and your email. And those are the passwords that I actually do remember. Everything else, the password management tool creates on its own. And I just let it generate it. And I'll show you what I do here in a minute. These tools store this data encrypted. They synchronize across the different devices that you use. Um, they allow for secure sharing. If you're sharing passwords, maybe, for example, to your uh, power company or the water bill with your spouse, you know, they want them to be able to log in. Well, these provide a secure mechanism of sharing passwords with other qualified people. Uh, they have tools, for example, to notify you when bad stuff happens, like a data breach. They have, from a company perspective, maybe auditing and policy that you can apply across your company uniformly. There are a lot of tools that do this, okay? The good news is you really can't make a bad decision. I mean, there's a lot of really good ones that are out there. And as long as it's pretty well known and it's reputable coming from a bigger company, you probably don't need to worry about which specific tool you have. Although I'd love for you to leave me a comment and let me know if you are using a password management tool, which one and how you like it. Now, Lots of different options. PC Magazine has done and continues to do a regular review of all the different tools that are out there, all the popular ones here. Um, but I've got some questions you might want to think about before actually choosing a tool, okay? You should think about, is this for you or are you doing this for your company? Many of these tools, for example, that we're going to mention uh, have both individual and business plans. The nice thing about doing this inside of your business, it makes sharing confidential information easy. Uh, do you have multiple devices? The answer is probably, you know. So synchronization across devices so that you can access it on your phone, your tablet, your computer, your work computer would be something you might want to consider. Um, there's other powerful functionality that can be added, like filling in forms. Uh, one of the things I love about my tools, it fills in all my forms automatically. I don't even really have to think about it. It just handles it all. Uh, can you import your data and export your data so you don't have vendor lock-in? Can't your data get your data in or out? Can it capture passwords automatically? So one of the things I will tell you that's very difficult when you're getting started with respect to password management is getting all your passwords in there. You know, if you're, for example, all your passwords currently are like Steve123, you know, well, not only do you want to get all those passwords in the service, you also want to go and change all of those passwords. And the overall process of getting started is certainly the most frustrating part of it. What you'd want to do is change all the passwords to something secure and then let the software generate those new passwords. And then you have to go to all those different services and update it from one to the other. Once you're in the software, it's smooth sailing. I'll tell you what, you don't want to do a little of this. You want to do it or not do it at all. Um, there's a lot of comfort that I take knowing that I don't have to remember the password to anything. My password uh, solution is infallible. You know, it's either right or it's wrong, but I have no idea what 99% of my passwords are. And I would recommend you be in the same boat. 
Uh, does it work with all the internet browsers you use? Uh, I personally recommend not using the internet uh, browsers password functionality. Like uh, I don't like using Edges or Chromes or anything else like that for no other reason than I use a lot of browsers. I use Edge. I use Chrome exclusively. Um, you know, I often have them both open. Well, one's owned by Microsoft, one's owned by Google, and they don't share passwords between each other. So I personally use a third-party tool that works with both browsers. Whatever solution you choose, make sure it supports multi-factor authentication, MFA. Now, there are four tools that I recommend. RoboForm, LastPass, Dashlane are all great. Okay. Um, I got nothing bad to say about any of them. Uh, the one that I personally recommend that I personally use is called LastPass. And I've done and used LastPass for a long time and it's worked really well for me. And so that's going to be the one that I mentioned uh, with respect to this section. They all work relatively the same though. They're a database, they store passwords, they recall passwords. That's about it. Uh, the reason I like LastPass is that it's got a good corporate plan. Uh, we use the LastPass for teams inside of our company. It's very reasonably priced at $2 per user, $2.50 per user per month. And it gives us a lot of features and functions that make it very effective for our company. For example, around sharing, setting policy, administration, admin, and you know all the stuff that you would expect at a company level. Um, LastPass consistently has been you know voted by a number of different uh, user groups as being the overall easiest and, and best to use. But don't feel the need to immediately drop whatever solution you're using and switch to this. If you've got something working for you, by all means, uh, consider using it. Uh, LastPass works pretty much ubiquitously. It integrates with a ton of stuff automatically. One of my favorite features with LastPass is that in one click, I can change a lot of my passwords for common providers. Uh, it integrates, for example, with 80 different websites that will create them and automatically update them for me too if I need to do so. It's got good tools for doing auditing, not only for myself, but as well as my staff to find people or accounts that potentially are weak that could cause a breach. They also have this cool feature called emergency access so that in case a user becomes incapacitated, the account could be handed over to somebody else. You know, think about, for example, all the logins that you have that might be important to your family in the event that you are um, unexpectedly incapacitated uh, injured or killed. Well, for myself, I mean, I want my wife to be able to get into the utility services, get in to be able to pay the mortgage. I'm the one who takes care of all of that, but she would need access to this as well. Well, in our case, we share it, so she has access already. But I can use what's called the emergency, um, the emergency access. And in the event that I am incapacitated or killed, after a period of time, my account can be transferred to somebody else and they can get access to that. Now, you wouldn't do that for everybody, uh, but you would certainly do that for uh, um, you would certainly do that for um, you know somebody you trust like your spouse or a family member. Now you can check this out by going to lastpass.com. You can get started with this. Lastpass is actually 100% free for a single class of device. And what they mean by that, it used to be free for everything, but you can use Lastpass 100% for free on your cell phone. You can use it 100% free free on your computer, one or the other. If you want to be able to access your account on your phone and on your computer, they charge you for that. And uh, it's a very reasonable fee in my mind, uh, and it's well worth it. The premium version of LastPass has a whole bunch of additional features that I think work really well. Uh, for 3 bucks a month, it's money well spent. Okay, Or you could spend up to uh, – or you spend 4 bucks a month, and you can get it for your whole family, which is pretty cool.
Now, the way LastPass works, you get this vault. Um, it's a Windows installable application. You can also put it on your uh, browsers. It supports every browser that I use anyway. And you have this idea of this vault. And inside this vault is where you would keep, for example, all of your confidential passwords. So here's my demo account here. And if I wanted to log into something, I would come over here, click the launch button, and it would take me into that particular account that I'm using. Now, if I wanted to create a new account, I'd come down here to the little plus icon. And that little plus icon, if I click that little guy, this is where I can add a password, a secured note, or any other sort of confidential information that I might want. Now, the LastPass is not just about storing passwords. I use it to store registration information. I can use it to store attachments. So I've got all my old tax returns. I've got the deed to my house. I've got copies of the pink slips of my vehicles. This answers the question to me anyway, where do I store confidential information? Well, I just don't have it scattered anymore. All of it is right here. So overall, it's a really good solution. If you're not using a password tool, definitely check out a couple of these and see which one you like the best. Um, I've consistently enjoyed using LastPass and it's worked well for me as well as uh, many of my clients. Now, also in the same vein with respect to passwords, um, one of the things I would really recommend that you do that can absolutely improve the overall security of your company would be to use multi-factor authentication. Okay, multi-factor authentication is an additional authentication method above and beyond the um, password that you're already using to access a service. Uh, there are three different ways of authenticating somebody. You can authenticate them with something they know, like a password, which is what we're doing currently. You can authenticate them with something they have, which would be, for example, a text message or a code being generated by an authenticator app or something they are, like biometric, like a fingerprint, face ID, something of that. With multi-factor authentication, we're just using at least two methods. Um, Passwords get stolen, as we've kind of talked about in depth here. However, if you utilize multi-factor authentication in the event that your password is stolen, this is going to require an additional authentication method above and beyond that actual password. And the reason this makes it secure is that the person who stole your password would also have to physically have the device with them. Um, your cell phone to get the two-factor code that's sent to them. And more often than not, with large-scale data breaches, that data is being shipped around the world. It's unreasonable to think that they're also going to have access to that as well. I would tell you that if you were to do a third thing, okay, so your first thing is keep your device up to date. The second thing is to use a password manager and strong passwords. A third thing, utilize MFA. Those three things, man, you've just exponentially improved your security game overall. So MFA should be used for any critical service, including your email, your accounting system, your bank, as many cloud-based provider uh, tools as you possibly can. You can't go wrong with it. And in so many examples of data breaches, uh, they would have been stopped in their tracks if they had been utilizing uh, MFA to prevent uh, access to that particular account. So in summary, passwords are and they will continue to be a very important element of our internal control. Uh, it's the way that we stop unauthorized access to our devices. It also is preventing people from accessing the data on those devices. And they're often our only line of defense. Uh, we can't add additional stuff if the software doesn't support it out of the box. So we don't have the choice 
uh, over all their security techniques or whether or not they use MFA, but we do have control over what password we choose. And if you take it seriously, even if the provider doesn't, hopefully that will be enough to keep you safe and secure. Now, because of human error, the effectiveness of the passwords will vary widely for individuals and by organizations. If you use the same password repeatedly across all your different websites, you're just asking for a data breach at some point. Um, it's impossible for us to remember every single password we're using, especially if they're supposed to be long and strong. However, if we utilize a password management tool, this could be a really effective way for helping reduce risk and exposure. Now in the future, we've got other tools like biometric tools that might hopefully help reduce our overall risk. But until that day and time comes, keeping our passwords up to date um, would be really important. Okay, let's go ahead and round out our presentation here with our last 20 minutes or so with my five common sense steps for securing your PC, okay? These are some really good recommendations and things that you can consider doing to help promote overall security for yourself and for your organization. And in addition to using, for example, strong passwords, two-factor authentication, and updating your devices, these five tips uh, will help bring you to the next level. You know, it'll help, help separate you from just a basic user. Now, these five tips are kind of varied. Um, they address different risks in different ways, but they're all about promoting uh, better control over your data. So they are controlling access to devices and data, uh, restricting administrative rights to your systems, blocking data transfer, encryption, and using whitelists to better manage access. So it should become, um, you know, start off with this. It should become at no, uh, no surprise. Absolutely controlling access to your devices is best. Uh, good passwords, as we've talked about in our last section, is a massive component of this. But the other piece of this that you might want to consider would also be to uh, control physical access to the devices themselves. Um, whenever possible, you certainly want to operate your technology in a controlled environment. Uh, one of the really nice things about cloud technology is that it is a, a great way of reducing the physical theft loss of your equipment. You know, it's not realistic, super, you know, for somebody walking away with a server, although it does happen from time to time. When we use cloud-based resources, we've essentially eliminated that risk. The odds of somebody walking out of Amazon Web Services or Azure with your computer is slim to none. In fact, there's no way for them to know because it runs in a very distributed nature, which actual device has your machine. And even if they were to get it, there's really nothing they can do with it. Uh, I would recommend that you have an inventory of all the different devices that you have that are company owned, uh, the serial numbers, as well as things like if it's a cell phone, the IMEI number, uh, so that in the event of physical theft at some point, uh, you can be able to identify which device is yours. This is also a good practice with respect to um, uh, fixed asset registry as well. And so hopefully you're capturing this at the same time. So definitely reducing 
access to your devices uh, in physical and for the logical access, the ability to interact with these machines, promoting good uh, security as well. Now, beyond actual passwords, uh, there are other ways of being able to do authentication. I kind of mentioned this a minute ago, you know, and as much as you can, you might want to consider some of these other methods, including things like biometric authentication, uh, USB fingerprint readers you can get now. There's a cool one from Kbyte. You know, it's just this little physical device that you can use to authenticate on your computer with your fingerprint and certainly utilizing multi-factor authentication whenever possible. So, Restricting access both logically and physically is a great way of promoting security overall. The next thing, restricting administrative rights on your machine. Now, I mentioned this earlier, and I'll repeat it, that a lot of malware is designed to be run by computer administrators. If you are not an administrator, then most of the time, if you were to download malware accidentally, it would not be able to infect the machine. And what do I mean by this? applications run with the same permissions of the user that are logged into it. So, you know, when I'm running, for example, Adobe, well, Adobe can't do anything beyond what the uh, permissions of my user account are. Likewise, for any other application I run, if I'm not an administrator, well, that application that I downloaded doesn't have administrative capabilities at all. The computer essentially silos those into the role of the user. So you either have a administrator or you've got a normal user. As much as you possibly can, don't be an administrator. If you just change the nature of your account from being an administrator to a user, well, guess what? You've significantly reduced your risk overall. Administrators' um, accounts can pretty much do anything on a computer. So if it's not an administrative account, there's not much it can do. So if you're a user, this can help, for example, prevent accidental changes to security settings, like uh, accidentally changing your settings to make it less secure. Uh, it could prevent a website or a malicious application from installing itself. It uh, provides control over the actual software that's installed on the computer, and it won't let the software do something it's not allowed to do. It blocks the execution of most malware, not everything. And it gives you a nice pop-up before an application installs, telling you that you need to be an administrator to be able to do it. Now, this is a no-brainer. It's pretty simple. It's pretty easy to do. All you have to do is change some of the features on your machine, and I'll show you this here in a minute. And you just change it from an administrator to a standard. Now, if you need to install software, which I'm sure you will at some point, well, it's not a problem. All you have to do is just use your administrator account. You know, if it's your personal machine, for that matter, um, it'll just uh, pop up. You'll put in the admin password, and it'll go ahead and install. But even for myself on my computer, I'm not logged in as an administrator 99 times out of 100. You know, every once in a while, I need to log in to make some administrative changes, but that's few and far between. I don't trust myself, you know, and that should tell you something about how uh, important this particular feature is. So when I do need to install something, it'll pop up, prompt me to type in the administrator password, and then I'll log in. And this prevents, in most almost all circumstances, you from accidentally installing something that you should not have installed if it adds just that one little extra uh, step. So let's go ahead and take a look at how you might do this inside of Windows. So on your Windows machine, come over here to the Start menu. You can type out, for example, Local Policy, and you can look at the actual local policy of the account. If you type in uh, Users, okay, you will see this option here that says Add and Edit users. Now you might want to use group policy to kind of fine tune exactly the permissions that you might want to have for your user accounts, but the actual prop 
the actual way that you're going to create your accounts is going to be through your system settings. And this is just another option listed here. So you could, for example, add a Microsoft account. You can also come down here and select this option that says other users, and you can click this and you can go ahead and go through. Now, whenever possible, I personally recommend you use the Microsoft approach and use the Microsoft uh, way of uh, logging this in because they added some additional securities with it um, that is far beyond what we would do locally. But you can also, for example, say, hey, I don't have this person's login information. And then you can go ahead and create an account. You know, you can go around, for example, and say, hey, don't use it as a Microsoft account. And you can just go ahead and give it a name. Now, another method that you could potentially do with this, and this is a little complicated, but follow along with me. You can access what's called the uh, uh, management console. Hit the start button, type in the words MMC, okay? You're going to see this pop up right here that says MMC run command. And then this is going to allow you to get into the Microsoft management console. And then from here, you'd select file, add and remove snap in. And then from here, you would come down and you would select users from this list. And you'll see an option here, local users and groups. And this would be where you can actually in, uh, create a separate local account if you needed to. Uh, thankfully, Microsoft has made this a little bit easier now, so you don't have to go kind of through this full step. But this is the traditional way that you would create a user account uh, inside of the Windows ecosystem. But if you set it up using a Microsoft account, it's a lot simpler and easier to do. So just that little simple thing, not being an administrator account, and if you're going to run this uh, in Active Directory and have lots of users in your company interacting with your machines, uh, definitely you want to set this up at that Active Directory perspective and right-size your permissions for all your users, uh, but you're certainly going to want to get IT involved in that. Now, my next recommendation is to block USB ports from doing any sort of data transfer. A lot of data breaches have occurred by employees just taking data. As I mentioned earlier, Edward Snowden didn't hack the NSA. He walked in with a thumb drive, plugged it in, and transferred files from that company asset to that thumb drive. So disgruntled employees could steal valuable information, take it to a competitor before being fired or moving to another company, uh, data copied to the flash drives for convenience, then the flash drive gets lost or stolen. Uh, data typically that you put on a thumb drive is not going to be encrypted. So again, if it's lost or stolen, it's out there in the wild. And there's also a lot of better methods too, including portals and cloud-based backups, Office 365, ShareFile, SharePoint, OneDrive. All of these are great options, better than thumb drives. These had a time and place. I personally don't use them that often anymore. Um, so I wouldn't recommend them for you as well. Now we could disable this. We need to go into the registry and from the registry, we need to go and find some specific uh, settings in here. And then what we can ultimately do is we can change how USB devices uh, are used. And we can say, you know what, you can't use them for data transfer, but they will still work for things like mice, keyboards, scanners, printers, and stuff like that. Uh, and if you just disable transfer, if one of your staff, for example, plugs in a USB disk, uh, it won't work. It just will say, hey, I'm, I'm not able to, to transfer data. My next recommendation is to encrypt. Whenever possible, encrypt, encrypt, encrypt. Uh, there's certain instances, legacy systems is the one that immediately pops to mind uh, where it might not be possible to be able to encrypt that information. But for your standard users, and certainly for anybody on a notebook computer, 
it needs to be encrypted. This is an absolute must for mobile devices, laptops, tablets, smartphones. If it can be picked up and walked out of the room and nobody notices because it's in somebody's pocket, absolutely needs to be encrypted. 47 states have uh, data breach notification laws. However, in a lot of these states, there are safe harbor provisions if the data was encrypted. So if it is lost or stolen on an encrypted device, it may not constitute a data breach. You're going to need to check your local jurisdiction laws to be to know for sure. Now, if you do have a data breach, it can be expensive. It can range anywhere from about $145 to $250 per record. Encryption can help reduce this risk. Now, we have several different types of encryption. We can encrypt individual files. We can encrypt the whole disk. Um, and it just depends on the context of whatever you're trying to do to be able to encrypt that service. Um, sometimes, for example, you could have your whole disk encrypted, but then still, for example, encrypt individual files for a specific use case. You know, you might have, for example, an Excel workbook, and that Excel workbook could, for example, have specific things in it that you don't want other people to be able to see, and you're going to transmit that file to them. In practice, though, I will tell you, don't rely on the encryption for Office uh, or PDFs for that matter, but you could still password protect these items if need be. An example of encrypting a file, let's go ahead and open up Microsoft Excel here. Come on over here to the file menu, drop down to info. We could select this protect workbook and select encrypt with password. And in doing so, we've essentially encrypted this specific workbook and prevented unauthorized access to it. It'll prompt you for a password to be able to get in. Well, if the system's not encrypted, this specific file would be. So I hope you can see here, you can have encryption here, 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 and really kind of everywhere in between. You know, if you want to prevent somebody from being able to access a file, if you encrypt it, it prevents unauthorized access for it. Now, the whole computer can be encrypted too. In Windows, we've got a tool called BitLocker. It's free. It's just something that you need to turn on. If you go over to your Windows Start menu, search for BitLocker, you'll see this option pop up here, and this would be where you would go ahead and turn on BitLocker. Now, I'm on a virtual machine here, so I can't enable this for you, but the next step would be to set up a password for this device, and it will ensure that if the hard drive were taken out of this machine, uh, people would not be able to read the contents of it. Good news is almost all devices now come with this enabled and turned on. But if you happen to have an older machine, it's definitely going to be something you're going to want to turn on for yourself if it isn't happened to be enabled already. Now, there are some alternatives to BitLocker. Um, if you're running a Mac, for example, it's called FileVault. Uh, same thing. It's turned on by default now, so you really shouldn't have to think about it. Uh, if you're doing this across a whole company, though, you might want to consider other tools. Uh, Symantec has a great tool called Endpoint Encryption, which is a great way to manage devices out in the field. Uh, that would be the other recommendation that I would uh, consider using. All right, the next recommendation would be to use whitelisting. Okay, whitelisting is the ability to be able to restrict only certain applications from being able to run on your computer. Uh, this feature was introduced as early as Windows 7. It's native as part of Windows 10. And you can use a tool called AppLocker to create whitelists. And what this does is it enhances the security by preventing unauthorized apps from even being able to be installed. Uh, in your company, you can set up a whitelist. It might be like the Microsoft Office suite. It might be, for example, the Adobe Creative Cloud. It could be your tax software, your accounting software, QuickBooks, Chrome, so on and so forth. And if any malicious software 
or any unsupported, undocumented software gets on that user's computer, it can't be installed. The operating system just says, no, 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 you can't do this. So it's a way of preventing users from accidentally or trying to work around your security procedures. It just will not install. And so it's a great application control uh, and a great way to promote compliance inside the organization. Now, before you do this, I would highly recommend that you make a full system backup before enabling this because you'll find that if you don't have this properly configured, you could quickly make your computer unusable. And here are some recommendations. You're going to be using that thing I showed you a minute ago called group policy. So you go into the group policy. This is going to be where you're going to enable AppLocker, and this is going to be where you would enable the procedures and the whitelisted applications uh, for your particular company. Every company works a little bit different in terms of what things that you might want. But once you kind of go into this particular tool, okay, you'll select that app locker option there. And then from here, this would be where you could say only run specified Windows applications. And you could do this both at the individual user level here as well as across the whole company in general. Okay, some parting thoughts for you, some other kind of last minute security tools and recommendations. As much as possible, I encourage you to become more anonymous. Consider setting up anonymous uh, profiles and, you know, as much as possible, be very careful and selective about where you create accounts, you know, whenever possible. Consider using private sessions in Chrome, Firefox, and Edge to prevent websites and services from being able to uh, track you. You know, if you're accessing the internet from public Wi-Fi, you might want to consider a VPN, such as private internet access, Nord. There's a few other great providers as well. Um, but generally try to become more anonymous. Uh, tracking is becoming increasingly more uh, commonplace. Um, you know, one of the things I really applaud Apple, for example, their recent changes to iOS have made it m increasingly more difficult for advertisers and third parties to be able to track your movements using cell phones, uh, allowing the user essentially to become more anonymous. Definitely consider upgrading your home network if you haven't done so in the last couple of years. It's never been a better time, for example, to get a new firewall, new router. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Orbi devices from Netgear. They work very well. Not only do they provide great consistent Wi-Fi, but they have great security built into them. If you haven't upgraded your, your um, security, uh, your network appliances in the last couple of years, great time to consider doing so. Um, additionally, you might want to get anti-malware. You know, your Windows device is going to come with Windows Defender, which is a great solution. However, you probably are going to want something a little bit more. I'm personally a big fan of Trend Micro. Uh, Trend Micro is a really good, robust anti-malware solution. Uh, something you have to pay for. It's $50 per user per year for business, or you can get the whole license for the family for the same rate. It's worked really well for me, and it's consistently uh, performed high when they've done the different uh, evaluation tools. There's lots of other tools that are out there. You know, um, for example, Semantic makes a number of tools. Um, you know, any of the major reputable brands would be great. Uh, however, it's really kind of hard to know every specific company and every specific product that are out there. Uh, one of the tools that I would recommend that you consider is this website called AV Test. And AV Test does uh, independent reviews of antivirus and anti-malware solution uh, regularly. And you can check it out by going to av-test.org. 
uh, and you could read about the specific reviews of of software and they do it for example for home users business users internet of things uh, if you come over here to for example to the windows antivirus their most recent scan of an evaluation of these uh, anti-malware tools was in april of this year and you can go ahead and you can find for example different tools that are out there you know so here's Bitdefender as an example uh, scores really well on protection performance and usability you know there's other tools that are out there that you might want to consider uh, here's the one that i do you know over here under trend micro and it varies. You know, you'll see, for example, these ratings adjust from period to period. But anti-malware is something, in my opinion, you absolutely should have. Uh, I'd also recommend something good for backup. As I recommended earlier, Crash Plan is a great tool for creating a good system-wide backup. If you don't want to use a solution like that, certainly any of the file sharing services, OneDrive, SharePoint, uh, Google Drive, Dropbox, any of those are fantastic. And they'll provide good file level storage as well. So it's not going to get everything on your system, but hopefully if you're keeping all your confidential and important stuff in those folders, uh, at least your important stuff will be backed up. Okay, let me just go ahead and wrap this up here. What I will say is that security threats are growing. It's certainly not an issue going away anytime soon. And you might feel that this is a lost cause, but I want to you know, applaud you just for coming here and listening. Uh, because just knowing what's out there will hopefully help you change your behavior and hopefully promote better all overall security for yourself and for your organization. You know, we live in a, a risky world. There are risks that are out there, but identifying what those risks are and at least having the conversation will hopefully give us the insight necessary to make better decisions um, overall. You're never going to be able to eliminate risk, but just like in an audit, we want to bring risk to a more acceptable level. You know, employing some of these best practices like strong passwords, two-factor authentication, encryption are going to help make you not be a target. Um, and not being a target is about the best you can hope for in this day and age. So if you're interested on this, I want to remind you again, we got the CPA Today podcast. We cover a ton of security topics, including in-depth reviews and analysis of security procedures, policies, and tools and solutions you might want to utilize. Uh, so you can check it out on the platform of your choosing, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. And you can also watch live twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, for free on Facebook and YouTube. You can ask questions about anything uh, that you'd like. Thank you so much for being with us here today. I really appreciate your time and attention. If you have any questions on today's material, please, I am a resource to you. I'm more than happy uh, to help. Uh, here is my contact information if you'd like to reach out to me. Um, email is preferred, but you're welcome to give me a ring as well. might take me a day or two to get back to you, just depending on my speaking and work schedule, but yep, I promise you I will. Uh, so whether you've got a question today or a question a year from now, by all means, please feel free to uh, consider me a resource. I know you have options when it comes to your CPE. Thank you so much for choosing your state society and K2. We really appreciate you being here. I think I have the greatest job in the world, being able to help people and share knowledge. And um, I couldn't do it without you nice folks coming to our conferences and seminars. So thank you very much. Thank you for being here. And I look forward to seeing you back in the office the next time around. Best wishes and good luck. Thank you so much for attending our presentation and podcast for today. As a reminder, you can check out cpetoday.com for all your continuing education needs. We have courses on every topic you can think of from accounting to audit to ethics and regulation and more. Everything you need to know to stay relevant, current, and up to date with the profession. Again, check out cpetoday.com.
If you're a new watcher or listener to the CPE Today podcast, again, we offer you a free course and a free credit for you to try our services. Pick the podcast of your choosing and use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to make that purchase free. If you enjoyed our presentation, please consider connecting with us on social media and let us know what you think. You can find us just about everywhere at CPE Today, uh, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more. And please consider subscribing to us wherever you happen to receive your content. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and others. We'd love for you to leave a review and let us know what you think. It helps new listeners and watchers find our course and content. Thank you so much for your time and attention. Thank you for being in the office, and we look forward to seeing you back here soon. Take care.